can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. That's the zone I, I love being in and, and, you know, sometimes you earn to find. When the stories carry you, it's as if you're flying, you're on wings. And a lot of writers will feel that you're doomed to fail when you use words. Hello, uh, and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. Uh, we're on a mission to understand and promote the conversation about creativity in business. And this week's guest is Simon Clary, barrister and author. Yes, we, as you say, we, we're opening up the conversation between uh, business and creativity. In this case, today, it's the conversation about business in the way of the business of the law and creativity via fiction writing in a novel. And Chris, I found this conversation to be absolutely incredible and stimulating. And I learned so much and stuff that I'd never thought about in particular, and not to steal um, his or your thunder, uh, the thing about uh, that a barrister is really a storyteller. Um, with with limits and boundaries and, and the structure of the law, but ultimately barristers and good barristers are good storytellers. Chris, what did you take out of it? Yeah, at first glance, you'd think, what what role has a barrister got to talk about creativity? Do, do we want creative barristers? And they deal with the facts, the black and white of what did and didn't happen. And on the contrary, we heard that storytelling is central to his role as barrister. Um, he's obviously, through his fictional writing, a, a skilled storyteller, in a different sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful podcast. We should get him in. We should get him to speak for himself. Yes, uh, let's get him in here now. Simon Cleary, welcome to The Common Creative. Paul, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on the show, Simon. Thanks for that. No, Chris, really looking forward to it. Um, Simon, look, we might jump straight in. Uh, you're a, uh, a very successful barrister and becoming, as time goes on, a more and more successful author. Um, is that correct, Your Honour? <laughs> I reckon both of those propositions should be challenged. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's true that I've been working uh, as a lawyer and working as a writer and trying to combine um, both of those pursuits for some time now. Right. How's it going for you, Simon? It, it, it's, it's wonderful and it's difficult. It's, it's both of those things. There are all sorts of creative overlaps between those two pursuits, but they're also different. And um, the differences create challenges and you know, the challenges are around finding the time for both because um, both are hard taskmasters and, as, as used to be said often, they're um, demanding mistresses. Um, but they're, they're also in some ways different ways of thinking as well and the ways of thinking can nurture each other but they can also hinder. So it's, it's a matter of... Um, doing my best to integrate both of those. So I'd love to hear more about the overlap between the two because a barrister, I mean, the law deals with facts. It deals with black versus white. And the whole idea is to avoid grey. And obviously, as a writer, it's much more subjective and more interpretive. And, and one of the great quotes from, from writing, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. So is there an overlap or are they just completely separate worlds? No, no, there are, there are very much overlaps. And the overlaps for me, stem from the reality that working as a barrister and working as a novelist are both storytelling pursuits. 
ultimately they're both storytelling pursuits. As a barrister, you have different material to work with and you have a particular audience. So material's different, audience is different, very different from uh, the material you work with creatively as a novelist. Um, as, as a barrister, you represent a client, uh, there is a particular drama involved, there's a dispute and there's a drama involved, but the drama um, will um, have embedded within it people, um, events, uh, conflict, uh, there will be timelines and so there will be um, uh, chronology will be playing its part as well. And um, as a barrister, you uh, absorb that material, you, you absorb it and you give it shape uh, as you do as a novelist. And um, you then, having absorbed it and ha having given it shape, you um, tell that story uh, and you tell the story not only with the facts that you've got in front of you, but with the legal framework that you're operating within. Uh, and, you, you know, you will either be uh, sitting across a mediation table um, or you will be standing at the bar table uh, addressing a judge and you know at its simplest when you're standing at a bar table addressing a judge what a barrister does is a barrister leans forward at the bar table and says to the judge your honor i've got a story to tell <laughs> my, my story is better than my opponents let let me tell you my story you know and um and and if your material's good enough uh, and if you've been able to frame the material um, persuasively, then your audience will listen. You know? And and so that it's a real it's a real there are similarities, um, uh, but there are also differences. And so it's 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 interesting because you you mentioned the legal framework, which I guess in a, when you're being a professional barrister gives you an anchor for your stories. You know the kind of the areas you should work in, the areas you can't work in, and so on. As a novelist, though, one of the, our theme, as you know, is exploring creativity in business. And one of the things I think that frightens people about creativity is this, this concept of a blank page or a blank canvas is where can I play? Where can't I play? What do I do? I'm stuck. So as a novelist, what is your framework? How do you know where to play and where not to play? For me, there are three anchors as a novelist, and one of those um, is character, uh, and, and in particular, the characters who populate um, a work of fiction that, um, uh, that, that I create. The second is place, and um, and for me that's about landscape, and that's landscape and cityscapes, and that's very much an anchor. And the the third is it's you know it's theme, but it's really it's it's what what's the story about? And like a lot of novelists, you know, I'm, I'm interested in 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 suffering and love and sacrifice and redemption and those sorts of. Um, uh, topics. Faulkner, in his Nobel, um, you know, uh, prize speech, um, listed them all and listed them memorably, and um, said effectively, you know, if, if you're not interested in those, what what are you interested in? And flipped it around by saying, um, if you're not interested in those, then <laughs> you're not living. Um, and and so those three things are anchors for me. I could see another link with uh, with being a barrister: the suffering, love, redemption. I would think those themes run right through into your professional life as well. <laughs> uh, actually, Simon, I'm interested, and in, I, I saw that uh, just in terms of you know just the way you describe the law. You obviously, you know, there's a lot of you in that. 
uh, do you at times that at times I feel that you know this is more about others and it's not the self-expression, or or do you not have that sort of feeling in in your practice? It, it's duty is very much a part of the practice of the law. Right. And, um, barristers will um, identify their duties and need to be clear about to whom the duties are owed, and that's a really important part of the practice. So, for a barrister appearing in court, your first duty is to the court. Um, right. You can't mislead the court. And so, you know, when I talk about telling a story, you know, that's at its most fundamental. But there are all sorts of constraints. And one of those is that you must um, tell the truth. You cannot mislead the court. That's your primary duty. Right. And so you must um, uh, use the facts to tell your story. Right. And it's a very serious thing for a barrister to stray from the facts because doing so can mislead the court and your primary duty is to the court. So very, it's a very serious um, thing. Uh, and you have a duty to your clients, and that's a second duty for barristers, um, and it's secondary to the duty to the court, and that duty is to act in the interest of your clients. And so um, the way that barristers tell stories, the way that many barristers tell stories, will be guided by the interests of the client. Um, is, it, is this a, a, a TV thing or thing, but, you know, when they say, don't tell me that, like, because if someone tells you something, like, does that compromise you at any, because in terms of your duty to the court, you know? Yes, it can. It, it so, can. so at times you don't want to know things? Is that like... Um, um, it, 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 the, the, it is absolutely the case that if you have information, if you're given instructions by your client, you cannot um, say something that is counter to the instructions that you've given because that is to mislead the court. Right, right, and, okay. Um, commonly, barristers will need to withdraw from cases. Um, so some, some, sometimes, you know, you will see uh, a high-profile case in which a barrister has withdrawn from the last moment. Often that's because the client uh. would like the barrister to be making submissions or running a case in a particular way that the barrister simply can't. Right, I see. And so often what happens is the barrister must withdraw from the case in those circumstances because the principal duty is to the court. So, so just Sorry, just, just to take that back to your novel, do you ever find, you know, I know that sometimes, you know, when I'm doing a painting or, you know, a design, sometimes, I you know, I say, you know, like, it's leading me, I'm not leading it. You know, like, do you, do you ever find, and, I, and this is sort of, you know, linked to that, what you're saying, do you ever find that same thing when you're writing a story that sometimes you... You feel that you know the story has control. You don't have the control of the story. Oh, and it's it's amazing when that happens. That that's the zone that that um, I I love being in, and and you know sometimes you earn to find. It's right. A, it's a, you know, for me. Paul, that's um, a time when yeah, when the story is carrying you. It's as if you're flying, you're on wings. Something something other than you is is guiding the the story itself and the telling of the story. And and there's something that's uh, yeah, it's special about those moments. Mm, fantastic. I'd love to hear. Well, how does that happen? I'm picturing you at a keyboard, and you've perhaps imagined some characters and a setting. How is it that you're not thinking rationally about, oh, this is what I'm going to make them do next, or this is what's going to happen? And, and I know, as opposed to, as you said, as if you're flying, it's, it's a feeling I connect with strongly. Um, uh, Paul's a, a, a painter, I'm a photographer, but I'm, I'm intrigued to work here how that works with writing. 
Well, you get you get carried away, um, and you lose a sense of time, and you lose a sense of place. So you leave. For me, I leave where I am in my study, and I leave my keyboard, even though I'm you know at the keyboard or or, or at the pen. But in a very true way, I'm not there. Uh, in a very true way, I have left that time and left that place and am in the story. And Chris, I don't know that that's just how it happens. And I, and I think the the story is carrying you, the characters are carrying you, the ideas are carrying you, the imagination is carrying you. You've entered, you know, perhaps you've entered a place of purer imagination. And um, you know, and and for the moment that you're there, you lose. Yeah. I, I, I completely empathise with that, um, and I've experienced that with with my photography. Yeah. So, uh, and you've warmed me right up. Just you know, I, I'm very cold. I've been swimming in the ocean this morning, and that being reminded of that feeling has warmed me right up. Pulled, itching with a question. Simon, I'm 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 interested to know, just on a practical term, uh, how you do divide your time. Um, do you do you you know do a little bit of work every day, or do you take blocks of times off between? cases you know do you say i'm not you know i'm not going to take a case for the next couple of months or how, how do you work on your on your writing it's a bit of both so i have a uh, a daily writing practice um and so i write early in the morning I, I i wake early i love that time of day i find it invigorating i find that it's an incredibly creative time of day to get up you know, before dawn and to be uh, to be writing, to be working uh, as the dawn is breaking. So I've got a daily practice. That's when I write. Uh, and depending on other things that are going on in my life, I may need to break that practice or carve out other periods of time. So if I have a trial on uh, in court, uh, which are a lengthy matters, which demands uh, a lot of energy and time and attention. I won't be writing, so I, I don't write in the morning if I'm in a trial. Um, uh, I'll get up early, but I'll be working on the matter that I'm in. Uh, but at other times, I may take some days off, uh, uh, particularly uh, you know, if there's a matter that needs to be edited, if a work needs to be edited, or if I just need some prolonged attention. So it's a combination of those two. So how, how long in the morning, how many words do you, you know, or is it is it varied? What time, four o'clock to six or what? Do you have a, a routine around? I'm just, I mean, a very uh, listeners, sorry, would be as well. Yeah, ones to that. Between four and six. Uh, they're they're my my two writing hours. They're they're two hours that I cherish every every morning. And um, okay, so that that and how many words would you get out in that I, period? I, it, to me, that doesn't matter. So yeah. I don't um, have a discipline of getting words out. I just use the time to progress whatever it is I'm working on. And sometimes that's a linear progression. That is, I've started at a particular point in the narrative and will move on from that point. Sometimes that's not how it's working. And so I'll use the time to write a scene or explore a character or an interaction between a couple of characters which may not fit perfectly into where the narrative is, but which I feel will um, be something that will be used later on in, in a work. Mm. I wonder if I'm, I'm captivated by this idea of a barrister as a storyteller and, and the word story carries 
baggage, which is kind of, it's, it's usually about fiction or it might be with kids or things you might tell your mates in a pub and, and, and this idea of what a story having a role to play in a, in a legal setting. Um, I, I was at a seminar once in a, a, a storytelling seminar and one of the attendees asked a question. He said, why do we read fiction? He, he confessed, he said, I, I read factual stuff, data, recipe books or whatever it might be. Why do we read fiction? And the, the um, speaker took it very seriously. And after discussion, the point that emerged was that there's more truth in fiction than in fact, if you like. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting point that the, that the fictional stories drill into the truth of human beings uh, more effectively than we can with the kind of facts of everyday life. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, do you think there's a this uh, a truth in this idea that, that fictional stories reveal more about the human condition, about people than, than fact? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are times then when fiction can do that, um, as poetry can as well. Uh, you know, great poems can capture a truth about experience in just a few lines uh, that that can't possibly captured in you know in, in, a, in a thesis. So, um, so I think fiction can and does and does often. Um, why there are all sorts of reasons I think why that's the case, but um, you know, the, the the characters aren't limited by particular people and particular circumstances and so a writer of fiction can explore uh, the depths of a character's soul in a way which is unconstrained by um, reputations and histories and um, and also there's a use of language which is unconstrained when we're talking about I find that when we're talking about events that have occurred um, the language we use can sometimes be one that second guesses and which is careful in terms of trying to capture precisely what's happened whereas when I write as a novelist I don't feel constrained in that same way um, and it's something I think there's something that you said earlier um, Chris about the laws interested in facts black black and white whereas for novelists the the at least for me as a novelist the guiding principle is the question it's doubt yeah. it's actually doubt <laughs> is the guiding principle and and so um, you can use language in a way which is doubting as well. You can explore an experiment, um, I think, as a as a writer of fiction and as a poet in a way that you just in a way that traditionally you haven't been able to as a writer of nonfiction. Though there are so many works of nonfiction now that encompass you know those techniques of novelists and and the use of the imagination of fiction writers, which are grounded also in a nonfiction setting. How does your right go for I think it's really interesting that you say about the doubt and say about the question, and it's something I never, I've never really thought about. I think that's a really amazing insight, you know, to say. But something that you just said just before, which uh, really have rang true to me about that, you know, sometimes you know you need a sonnet to explain something you can't explain in a thesis. Mm -hmm. And I was having coffee with a friend this morning, and she made the observation, which again I'd never heard, but it's the same thing, saying that there are some things that cannot be communicated unless it's through art mm. um, and and it's something that I had never thought about as a, as a painter and it's true you know there are some things and you know so what is art and what is art for and I think you know I think you've hit the nail on the head in saying that that yes there's you know there's some things that that, that can't be told unless it's in that art form so I think that's really curious <laughs> yeah no, absolutely and, and a lot of writers will feel um, that 
you're doomed to fail when you use words <laughs> that that all writers have uh, is, is this instrument called a word and, and, and yet <laughs> you, you, you know they're so limited. words are so limited and, and you, you know you, you try to expand the meaning or, or to expand the gaps between the words to try and allow other meanings uh to to um to enter you know so there's, there's something that i think you're doomed uh, you're doomed when you work with words that um just when you say you don't have the words chris and i both laugh about uh douglas's adams little book i don't know if you've ever heard of, heard of lif where he no. took um he took names of strange founding, founding places through england and wales and the uk and put it to things that don't have um words for them so you know things like i can never remember what they are but i remember what the that what the represent one is the coolness of the reverse side of the pillow on your cheek and the and the other is the act of cleaning up after before the cleaning lady comes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now I, I've been frozen, so Chris probably can't see me. So I'm going to ask another question, just very, very quickly. You're currently you've got three books that you've published: uh, the War Artist, the Comfort of Figs, and Closer to Stone. Uh, over a ten or eleven year period, uh, you're currently working on another book. Did you want to talk about that at all, or is that uh, in the vault? The previously I have kept my books in the vault, you know. Um, previously I ha I have tucked myself away in my writing cave for years and kept kept um, the works close to me. But I'm working on something that's a bit different this time, and it is a work of non-fiction, and it's a work that has so many questions that I know I can't possibly um, find the answers to myself. That I've, I've I've opened myself up in a very very different way. Um, to the universe, if you like, and it's uh, it's about rivers, and it's a story about the way that rivers connect us as humans, connect places, connect ecologies, connect history, connect mythologies, and it's um, it, it explores that through the river in the city that I live in, which is Brisbane and the Brisbane River, and one of my um, ancestors, my great grandfather, was a bridge builder and had built a bridge over this particular river, and um, so the this river and and rivers uh, as almost as a, as a motif, as a meaning maker, is something that has been of interest to me for a long time, and so that's that's what I'm working on at the matter at the moment, Paul. Which uh, which bridge did your grandfather build? The Story Bridge. He was a Canadian uh, steel engineer and he'd uh, finished building a bridge across the St Lawrence River in Montreal. Have either of you been to Montreal at all? There's no. a river, there's a river, there's a, uh, the river there is the St Lawrence River. There is a steel cantilever bridge across the St Lawrence River, which is a replica of the Story Bridge in Brisbane. And so if ever you go to, to Montreal, you'll stand on the banks of the St Lawrence and you'll look up at this bridge and you'll think to yourself, I know that bridge. Um, so He'd finished building that and uh, he was uh, invited to come over to Brisbane to migrate, which he did with his family, uh, to be the chief steel engineer on the construction of the Story Bridge. And, uh, well, so the, 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 that, that, that's, that's amazing. And, I, you know, obviously that connection with Story, <laughs> he's a Story Bridge builder. Uh, my, my father used to look after the Story Bridge. Uh, Is that right? What's the story there? Not, not as a bridge builder. Uh, but he was an engineer as well, uh, and as was my grandfather. Both worked for Brisbane City Council. But my father was chief engineer and manager of works, and the Story Bridge is one of their assets. And so it was one of his um, one of his bridges. 
So that's uh, that's 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 quite quite amazing. Now I haven't seen either of these bridges, but why the Story Bridge? Does anyone know why it's got that name? There was a public servant by the name of J. D. Story, and the bridge was named after him. So that's that's quite a you know a mundane. Um, right, uh, answer the question, but definitely editing that out. I think something much more romantic. Should, should, about should, the it, should, story it, be, the... should it be the Cleary? The, the Cleary, what you're trying to tell us is that the, the public servant rob rob your uh, ancestors? Was he a Cleary or was he something else? No, he was he was a Wilson actually. So he was my maternal grandmother's father. So a Wilson, the Wilson Bridge. That's I right. always think about the Wilson Bridge now because the W is perfect for the uh, shape of that bridge. That's right. Oh, it is, isn't it? That's right. Uh, an upside down w yeah um uh simon we we uh we did ask did do you, do you have a quote for us or a uh you told us lots of stories uh, well, look i do have a quote and and it's a it's a maya angelou quote and i know that that she's um you know prolific in terms of um being quoted uh, but it's that quote that she has about creativity it is about creativity that you can't use it up um and the way that the quote goes is you can't use up creativity the more you use the more you have and there is something about that that rings um very very much truly to me you know there's something about creativity that's that's like love that um it it just generates and generates and generates so that's a, that's a quote that i love paul that well, that's a great i love that quote in fact one of our very early podcasts was just chris and i talking to each other which got a bit boring for our listeners uh we did one about uh creative energy and i made the observation that creativity is like a rechargeable battery yep. but if you don't keep it full eventually it loses its ability to hold power mm. so um if you get bored of uh quoting the other one you can always quote me on that one so i mean i've got it that's that's a fair way to quote i'll write that, i'll write that down in my book quotes after we finish the session Simon, we're, we're challenging our guests to share a creative habit that we could perhaps experiment with ourselves um is there anything you want to challenge us to do we'll, we'll maybe take it on board for a week and then we'll do a little uh soundbite to compare notes on how we've gone with trying a creative habit that somebody we've met has what, what would you suggest for us well can i give you a new creative habit of mine um and and so it, it's become a habit but it's a new one and it's connected with the topic that uh, of, of my current work uh, and my creative habit is to spend some time on the banks of the brisbane river every day and uh and when i do it uh you know depends on what the day looks like but for every day to have at least some minutes um standing or sitting by the banks of the river uh and i guess you can step back and and pull that out that's, that's a habit about attempting to be present somewhere uh, in in the natural environment and to draw inspiration from it i think that's a wonderful habit and uh, for what it's worth i go to the beach every single morning as, as the sun comes up so i connect with that idea about being present and in a natural environment paul what do you think of that well look, look i think it's great i think it's it's very funny this is the only second time we've asked this and last time with remo uh Jufre, who who's the um host of TEDx Sydney and 
and Remo's store. And he gave us a challenge, which was about, you know, uh, having some activity in the morning and then taking a moment to, to or taking a time to actually to process that and think about, you know, how that might apply to your day. Um, so, uh, look, I think it's great. I, I go to the um, river quite often, not every day. Chris, obviously, he lives in Sydney, so he can't come to the river. Um, but, but, I, but I think the point about it is, is I walk along the riverbank, but I'm not doing what you suggest, which is actually about stopping and being present and thinking about, about it. So, yes, I, I like that. I'm going to I'm going to do that. I will go to the Brisbane River and I'll stand and ponder. Uh, so I'll look, for, I'll look for you there, Paul. <laughs> um, look, one other thing we did ask as well is whether you had an idea you'd like to share. Do you, do you have an idea besides the idea of your new book? Uh, do you have something that look? Can I share an idea about uh, an experience this morning? And it is it is connected to creativity and. It's also connected to that saying, you know, that a problem shared is a problem halved. And it's um, it was just a, a, a lesson that um, came home to me again this morning. I met up with a friend and uh, and, and we were talking about um, arts disasters. Um, and she had uh, a particular problem that she was mulling over. And as we got talking, we just started exploring, you know, her problem in different ways, you know, stepping back from it, looking uh, at a broader perspective, coming close again to see what the broader perspective may have given us in terms of her particular problem. Uh, and so it's the idea about collaboration, really, and the way that collaborations can provide new ways of seeing something. And um, there are all sorts of artistic pursuits for which collaboration is integral to, to the pursuit. Writing's not not necessarily one of those. You know, often writing's been seen as a solitary artistic pursuit, but I've, I've been lucky enough to have some experiences recently of working with uh, musicians and artists and the collaborative energies that have come out of those has been quite extraordinary. Um, so that's the idea, um, Paul. It's that idea of collaboration and what collaboration can actually generate. Look, I, I love that. And I have seen uh, the results of, you know, one of your collaborations at the Museum of Brisbane, the Storytellers, which is absolutely a fantastic exhibition. Um, I, I do have, an, you know, as, as a career as an architect, collaboration is a key a key element uh unfortunately uh often uh there's what i call collaboration which is uh people uh pretending to collaborate but i found recently um there's another thing which i call uh caramelization which is basically it goes back to that old there's an old ad about caramellos about the pregnant woman wanting the caramel inside the chocolate and so <laughs> The the, uh, the 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 collaboration version of that is the people that want to be just the sweet bit in the middle, <laughs> and they don't really care what's going on the outside. Yeah. But um, that's uh, uh, that's that's my uh, my take. But yes, that well, that's great. Well, Simon, uh, thank you for that. Chris, do you have any other questions? Uh, no, I, I think it's a great moment. I've learned so much about um, being in the natural environment, to stimulate ideas about collaboration and about storytelling in the world of law. Uh, so thank you very much, Simon. Really, really great to talk to you. That's been a terrific conversation. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, it helps others find us. And a huge thank you to Zane Weber, our audio engineer, to Michaela Rock, our producer. I'm Chris Meredith. We'll see you next week. I'm Paul Fiorella. Join us then.